Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. One of the things my family and I love about Tennessee, and I'm curious who's with me, is the waterfalls. Who's with me? Wow. No passion. Who loves the waterfalls? I mean, there are great waterfalls in this area. We, we have been meticulously, maybe we're still like tourists here, I don't know. Maybe the locals are just like, whatever, but we're all into the waterfalls. Like we've been going and meticulously visiting every waterfall and hiking those trails with our family. And as you guys know, every family or team has some sort of system about how they go about things, meaning how they make decisions, how they get there, how they do the research. And uh, we have realized without a shadow of a doubt in my family that my wife, Jessica, is the navigator. She is the directionally talented one. And I will say early in our marriage, um, that made me a little bit insecure because I'm the man and I'm supposed to know what to do and where to go. But I've really come to the point in our 14 years of marriage that I simply just say, honey, where do we need to go? And she says, here. And I say, kids, let's go. And it works beautifully. She is the master. She has a great sense of north, south, east, west. She does the research. She's amazing. And just last fall, here's a picture. Her and I visited, that's me first on the guitar. Right over that cliff there is an 80-foot drop. This is Ozone Falls. Who's been there? Really, only one, two? Oh, my goodness. Okay, part of your discipleship in the sermon today. (laughs) It's probably only what? It's only an hour, maybe an hour and a half from here. It's called, is it Ozone Falls? I think that's what it's called. Right over that ledge right there is an 80-foot drop, which you won't realize until you get right up on it. It's high enough that it makes your stomach hurt a little bit. And then if you go to the next picture, we then trekked down to the bottom. You can see the fall there. You can see Jessica, my wife there on the bottom left. And we're not even close to the actual bottom yet, but we went down all these uh, pretty sharp rocks and all kinds of things. And this was only 10 minutes off the highway. And if I was in charge, we would never even know it was there But since my wife is in charge of these things specifically, she researched it, found it, knew every trail, knew where everything led, and got us to the destination. And kind of the way we're going to frame the sermon today is this principle that was popularized by Andy Stanley. He called it the principle of the path, and it's this, direction, not intention, determines destination. So I love the idea of seeing the beautiful waterfalls. My intention is there. My desire is there. I might even dream about it. But since I don't get on the path, because I don't even know where the path is, I would never get there. But she puts us on the path that leads us to the direction so that we get to the destination, which is absolutely amazing. The series is the Book of Psalms. We started it last week with Psalm 22. We're dialing back to Psalm 1. Today, it's called 2 paths. Let me give you a little context about the book of Psalms. Actually, some interesting details. More chapters in the book of Psalms than any other book of the Bible, 150 chapters. It also has the longest chapter of the Bible in it. Psalm 119 is 176 verses. That is longer than some other entire books of the Bible. It has the shortest chapter in it. Psalm 117 is only two verses. It has the most authors that have collectively written the book of Psalms. It is the longest book in the making, a thousand years of time for the Psalms to be created. And it's the most quoted in the New Testament, meaning there's a lot in the Psalms that is messianic and prophetic. It points to the Savior, to Jesus. The largest single contributor was David, who you may have heard of. He was a shepherd. He was a king. He was a worshiper. 
and he had amazing prophetic insight in his Psalms. He wrote with raw vulnerability, he wrote with passion, and his heart cries became known to the Lord. And one of the things I love about the Psalms is no matter what you're going through, there's a Psalm that speaks to the condition of your heart. And as you pour that out before God, it gives us this pattern of being completely honest with God, but then becoming God-centered again. So we pour it out, but then it brings us back to a focus on God. So it kind of acknowledges the reality and the problem and the condition of the heart or the emotion, but then it minimizes it by magnifying God. And that's the pattern the Psalms teaches us. A few categories of the book of Psalms. There are wisdom Psalms, which Psalm 1 is, which we're going to look at today. They give us direction for living. There are royal Psalms, which are the messianic ones that foretell the Messiah, a thousand years before the Messiah in many cases. There are lament psalms, which records the the writer's heart as poured out before God in despair and hopelessness. There are imprecatory psalms, which is not a word we use in our culture much, but those are the psalms where you call upon God to pour his wrath out on your enemy. (laughs) So that's a new, let let me give you a new tool for your tool belt. If you're at work or if you're in a conversation with your spouse or your parent, You can just be like, I'm about to pull out an imprecatory psalm onto you and see what happens. (laughs) There are Thanksgiving psalms. No reaction for Thanksgiving psalms. You see, we're really drawn to those imprecatory psalms. There are Thanksgiving psalms, which, of course, just pouring out a heart of gratitude. Pilgrimage psalms, which specifically were written for the Jews to sing on their way to Jerusalem, mostly toward the end of the book of Psalms. And lastly, there are enthronement psalms. These describe God's majesty, his rule, his providential care in the world over all things. Those are a lot of the Psalms that we still sing today in church. So Psalm 1, two paths. The question Psalm 1 answers is, how do I prosper in life? And what does prospering even look like? What does true success look like? Um, In the West and in America, we're really kind of trained and discipled into a culture that basically worships success. It's kind of like the ultimate goal. We will celebrate it at all costs, but we really need to take a step back as followers of Jesus and let the scripture inform what does biblical success look like? And that's what Psalm 1 gives us. I love how David Allen said it. Psalm 1 is the faithful doorkeeper, the vestibule leading into the sanctuary of praise known as the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 is to the entire book of Psalms as middle C is to the piano. It is the text of which the book of Psalms is the sermon. Let's start in Psalm 1.1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Let's pause there. So the Psalm begins by identifying the path that does not lead to blessing. And it's important for us to acknowledge this. Wherever we are in our journey, you are on a path. We sometimes forget that. Whether you are intentionally on that path or not, it is a path that you have chosen. It's kind of like when you study organizations and systems. It's important to realize there's a system by which things are getting done. We may not be aware of it. We maybe didn't choose it, but we're in it. And it's just, I want you to sit into that reality today and remember You are on a path. And then remember point number two, and this is not a doom and gloom sermon at all, but let's just look at what the text really says. There are paths that do not lead to blessing, but to destruction. And let's look at what it says here. It says, do not walk in step with the wicked, do not stand in the way that sinners take, and do not sit in the company of mockers. I think one of the most important choices we make in life 
is what paths not to take. And it's that pre-decision-making that we can do. Like, you can make decisions right now about what you will be facing in five years from now. And this ancient text helps us in our modern culture think through that. So let's look at those three things just briefly. It says, don't walk in step with the wicked. This is not, does not mean don't physically walk with people that aren't following Jesus. In fact, the scripture calls us to actually walk in relationship with people that don't know them and love people and, and welcome them into a seat at the table. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying don't walk with them to the point that your life is so tied up that you begin to walk in their way. That's what it's saying. And think about it back then, counsel was only face-to-face. There wasn't the, the deluge of messages and media and influence that we have today. Today, we need to think about what is influencing us from the perspective of music, film, social media, the news, amen for news. Has anybody else just decided to never watch the news and like figure out other ways to get it? Yeah, amen, yeah, big clap for that. The endless cavern of online content through which you can find anything, you know, and it's kind of like if, you, if, if your head hurts a little bit and you start looking on WebMD and you start diagnosing yourself and the trail that you can lead you down. Now, I'm an artist and I'm a storyteller and so I love all kinds of media and I actually think there's a place in media for the really dark stories. I think there's a place. There's a place in scripture for it. But I've learned over the years, man, I have to be really careful what I expose myself to for the long term because it does end up impacting me. Pastor John, we were just talking. He's worked with a lot of people in New York on Broadway, and we share that heart for the arts world. I've worked a lot with a lot of people in visual arts and in, in, of course, film as we were in Los Angeles, lots of people in music now. And one of the things that happens with folks in those industries is they feel like they need to be exposed to everything. They feel like they need to watch and partake in everything that comes out because it's their medium and their craft. But it's really important as followers of Jesus to make the pre-decision that if our life is starting to get wound up in it, it's leading us to a path of destruction. So there's a careful balance there. Um, you know, I grew up in the generation, like I, when I was 16, I, I once threw away all of my, the word we used was secular music. Do you remember that? I had my CDs. I literally remember, I remember for some reason I have a memory of an album by Papa Roach. Anybody remember the band? Where are my 90s, where are my 90s kids at? I had a CD by Papa Roach and I had this words of my youth pastor in my mind, you gotta get rid of that Papa Roach CD and I threw it out of my window one day and I was like, I'm a father of Jesus. And I'm not saying that that's all wrong. You have to think through it. I'm also not saying, I'm not saying that you can't listen. I don't believe for a second that you need to listen to only things that are deemed as Christian or Christian industry, but you must be very careful. And I would say with film, I mean, you can go on Netflix and find literally anything. You can find anything and there's no filter on it. Of course, you can go online and find anything. So we need to make the pre-decision. What are we allowing in on a regular basis? Then it says, do not stand in the way of sinners. That's really getting at are we following the way of sinners or the way of Jesus? It's kind of about resisting the lure of the crowd. Or I even think of it as like, we are not called to go by the popular vote as followers of the way of Jesus. Our culture tends to go by the popular vote. Here's what everyone else thinks. Here's what the majority thinks. And if that's what the majority think, hey, I guess I'll go that way. And we as followers of Jesus need to say, wait a second, if the majority of people think it, it does not necessarily mean it is the path that leads to blessing. That's what this ancient text is reminding us. And then it says, don't sit in the company 
of mockers. Again, it's not talking about not being with certain people. I believe this is saying, don't actually make your seat a seat of mockery, right? And I think what it's specifically talking about is don't, don't sit in a seat that is all about ridiculing the things of God. Don't let that become your seat. Don't let the cynicism of the world, or even I, I totally believe in our brains and intellectualism, but you can let intellectualism cause you to become a cynic and start to ridicule the things of God that are by faith, right? So I have a little thing that I'm always wanting to pursue. I learned this from a friend. I wanna pursue wonder and resist cynicism because I don't wanna sit in the seat of mockers. Are you with me? I wanna have that childlike faith. It's all summed up in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And let's just recap so far. So it's one thing to have a desire for happiness and fulfillment, and it's one thing to dream for it. You should, but you need to take careful assessment of what path you're on because the scripture is telling us, and it's a faithful, trustworthy text. There is a path that will lead to that and a path that will not lead to that. And I think it's important to think through definition of terms too because it's using language that, again, we don't use in our culture too much, wicked and righteous, we don't really call people wicked too often. We don't really call people righteous too often. In fact, if I asked you real quick, think of someone that you think is completely wicked, you probably can't think of that many people that you would necessarily put in that category. Well, I mean, the really <laughs> twisted ones, they can, I'm just kidding. That was a joke, Heather. <laughs> She's like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 people. I don't know, I'm just... Flip side, if I tell you to think of someone who you think is completely righteous, you probably don't quickly have, other than me, I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> My jokes are really bombing today. I mean, I've, I've tried two jokes in a row, no response. <laughs> I'll stop soon, I'll just preach. But I think it's important to define these terms because the wicked, it's not just these people that exemplify pure evil, like the people that we see in storytelling. It's more about the path you are on. It is when you repeatedly choose to not acknowledge the way of the Lord. So here's our working definition for this talk. Wickedness is the path of disregard for the law of the Lord. And it's staying on that path. And it's the path that doesn't work. In fact, look at Psalm 1-4. It says, not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. And if you look, we have a definition of chaff. It's the loose outer covering on wheat and the other grains that must be separated in the threshing and winnowing process when you're harvesting grain. In Bible times, grain was threshed or trampled, crushed and beaten on outdoor threshing floors to separate out the inedible parts of the grain and it was called chaff. The lightweight chaff would blow away on the wind or sometimes was burned as fuel. And in the winnowing process, the grain was then tossed into the air, allowing the wind to further separate any remaining, remaining bits of the husk from the wheat. And the bits, called chaff, would be carried away in fine particles like dust. And I was talking to someone after first service uh, that reminded me that in the military, when they're doing um, decoys to try to um, attract fire in different directions, they call that chaff. And they, they throw chaff out there as a decoy. And chaff, if you're really in a cloud of it, it's toxic to you because it's, it's all the inedible parts of it. And so there's, there's this sense that the path of the disregarding the law of the Lord leads to a life that can simply be tossed around and blown away at any moment. And what the Psalms is telling us is that it will be blown away. And then the, the end result on this particular path is in verse five and six. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked, and pay attention to these three words, leads to destruction. 
There's a certain way, a certain path that though it's not what we want for our life, it leads to that. No one is saying my dream is destruction. (laughs) You might say that in certain moments when you're discouraged, but no one ultimately is saying this is where I am trying to get, but you may be on a path going that way. And the Lord disciplines those he loves. Just like those of us that are parents, we discipline our kids. I'm trying to teach my two-year-old boy, hey, if you run around the house with bags over your head that you can't see through, you're gonna hit walls and bleed. And he's been proving that over and over. He still has not learned the lesson. Literally two days ago, he was running up our stairs, fell down real hard, and we heard the cry that's like a real cry. You know what I mean? Like people in our house are crying all the time, but this was a real cry. And his blood was pouring out of his mouth like Kool-Aid. And it was, he almost bit his tongue off with his two top teeth because he was running like a madman up the stairs. And uh, he was fine. You know, the tongue heals really fast. But there are more serious things that we discipline our kids around, like touching the oven, things like that. You know, we will, we will discipline them hard because we don't want them to follow the path that leads to destruction. You know, a really hot orange oven might look really appealing to a two-year-old, but he knows nothing. So he needs to get off that path. And it's my job as a parent. Even my, my five-year-old girl, she's obsessed with cartwheels right now. And she does the kind of cartwheels where she runs for 10 feet, full speed, and it's more like a flip. You know what I mean? And she thinks she can do cartwheels on any surface, middle of the street, middle of the rocks, broken glass. It doesn't matter. She does not survey the land. She just runs full speed and does cartwheels. And yesterday, she did one in the middle of a field of rocks and made her hands bleed. And I'm like, all right, sweetheart, I love your cartwheels. They're amazing cartwheels. But let's do the cartwheels on grass. Let's do the cartwheels on the carpet. We discipline those that we love. Now, as that goes on, if bad decisions keep happening by kids as they grow up, they have consequences that are just natural. And I believe that ultimate judgment from God is this. Number three, the judgment of God is less punitive and more logical conclusion. The discipline, he's trying to get you on the path that leads to life. The ultimate judgment that the text refers to, separation from God, I don't believe his heart is punitive in that. It's just logical logical conclusion. It's you saying for a lifetime, I don't want you. I don't want your ways. We choose that path beginning now. And again, we're not always fully aware of the path we're on, but this is where it starts to get really, really good. Because the, the, the message of Jesus and the good news that is even pointed to in this text is this, you can change paths. At any moment of any day, no matter what's going on, you can change paths. And I would submit that we as followers of Christ are called to change paths on a regular basis. You know what it's called? Repentance. Repentance. Repentance is not a dirty word. Repentance is a word to be celebrated. I am so thankful that every day I can repent when I fall short. I think my role in my home as the father and husband is to be the chief repenter, not to be the one who projects like I got everything together, but to be the first one to say, ah, I really blew that. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. In fact, just this week, my eight-year-old girl, we had an argument right before she was going to bed. I won't get into the details. And um, she was really upset and I was really upset. You know what I mean? It happens. And... and, uh, and, you know, we were kind of okay going to bed. It just kind of ended. And the next morning, she's so sweet. She's a, she's a fast repenter, this little one, Kenzie. We both were like hugging each other and looking each other in each other's eyes. And at the exact same time, we said, I'm sorry about last night. Really, same moment. 
It's not always Hallmark like that. This was Hallmark. I, I was, we, did, we were like, we just said that at the same time. And then I said, will you please forgive me? I should, because I, I, I overly responded. She definitely overly responded. And um, not that I'm trying to say it was more her fault, but it was more her fault. But I was, I then was like kind of wrong. She was completely wrong. <laughs> She's not in here. She'll never hear this. <laughs> so we, you know, and I really think it's, so critical that in our family, in our walks with Jesus, in our church, we celebrate repentance. I believe my main role as the pastor here is to be chief repenter. It's not like I got it together. I mean, I try to be honest. You guys know by now I don't have it together, but I try to stay on the path that leads to life. One of my favorite quotes from my father uh, that, that he got in my heart growing up was that maturity is measured by how quickly you repent. I love that. So if you wanna know if you're growing in your faith, don't look at whether or not you ever mess up. You will mess up. Look at how quickly you repent when you mess up. When that anger flares up and you just get, you, you make a mistake. You just get overwhelmed. If the quicker you repent from that anger is the demonstration of your maturity, I love that. And then let's continue with this good news. There is a path that leads to flourishing life. Let's look back at Psalm 1 verses one through two. Blessed is the one And then moving to verse two, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. This is the contrast. And who meditates on his law day and night. When you think about the phrase, the law of the Lord, it might not be your first instinct to say, oh, I delight in that. We don't always think, oh, I delight in the law. But when we understand the law of the Lord and its purpose, we begin to understand that we should delight in it because it's what leads to life. It's the way that actually works. It's this invitation. It's kind of like the law of gravity. If you want to fly, what do you have to follow? The law of gravity. If you want to flourish in life, what do we need to follow? The one who created life and who gave us a way that actually works. One of my favorite quotes, the law of God is as restrictive as wings on a plane. The wings must be built a certain way but they're not restrictive, they cause you to fly. This path leads to flourishing life, meditating on his law day and night and delighting in it. Ultimately, the law leads us to Christ. I love what Martin Luther said. We go to the Bible in order to find Christ. I also love what Alistair Begg said. The Bible is a book about Jesus. In the Old Testament, he is predicted. In the gospels, he is revealed. In the acts of the apostles, he is preached. In the epistles, he is explained. In Revelation, he is expected. So when we're talking about definitions again, righteousness is the path of delight in the law of the Lord. And delight in the law of the Lord doesn't mean you never fall short. It means you repent. Like the author of the majority of the Psalms, David, of whom it was said that he had a heart after God. And if you study his life at all, you realize he was deeply flawed in character deeply flawed in decision-making. But you know what David did that caused him to be considered one who walked the path of righteousness? He kept on repenting. What the wicked don't ever do is repent and again acknowledge that way of the Lord. Jesus and the good news of Jesus through whom all of scripture, through, who is revealed through the whole scope of scripture, it's like giving us the ability to at any given moment repent, fully step back into the way of the Lord and be clothed in the righteousness of God. That's what the gospel says. And that's what leads to Psalm 1-3. The person 
who delights in the, in the law of the Lord is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. And I've been over in the Middle East and it's mostly desert terrain. And if you study how water patterns work there, there'll be a river surrounded by desert and the trees that are planted right by the river are really healthy and strong. They are flourishing trees. But then if you go a little further away from the river, the trees are a little less healthy, a little less strong, a little less fruitful. And the pattern goes on and on until if you get so far away from the river, you can get to the point where it's impossible to even function as a tree. You literally wither and die. And that's the metaphor being used here. When you delight in the law of the Lord like that, When you walk in that way, when you meditate on his word day and night, you are the tree planted right by the stream of water. That's where I wanna be. Why would we not wanna plant ourselves right by the stream? And then in Christ, this is all fully fulfilled. I love this. He he just, it's almost like echoing these words in the New Testament and it shows how it's fully fulfilled in the person of Jesus. John 15, five, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's like all these metaphors come together because Jesus, Jesus, he he is the living water. Like he is the stream. He's the whole picture. So he's saying, I'm the one right here. I'm the tree that is literally in the water. I am the water. And you are actually in me. That's what the gospel says. So it's this incredible invitation to put our faith in him and be placed into the river of God. So I actually... Yeah, yes, I wanna say, oh, I repent from being way over here from the river. I wanna be planted right by the river. But actually in the gospel, I wanna dive headfirst into the river of God. Are you with me? That's quite an invitation. Ultimately, Jesus is the fulfillment. And what I wanna ask us before we go into another time of worship and close, I want you to ask yourself this, which path am I on? And you might have a quick response to that. Like if someone asked me that, I would say, oh, I'm, I'm on the path at least to blessing. That, that's what I'm doing. That's my goal. But then you have to be really honest with yourself and get down into the nitty gritty of all your little different various decision making and the areas that are challenging in your life. Think about those for a minute. Think about some of the areas that are frustrating you a lot. A lot of times our frustration and our anxiety about certain issues is because we have not approached them on the path that leads to life. We are approaching them in a different way. And I've created a little list here for helping us think through this. We can start by asking ourselves this, number seven. Do I delight in the law of the Lord or do I have disregard for the law of the Lord? And even more specifically, in what areas can I even more delight in the law of the Lord? And then in what areas am I maybe compartmentalizing or disregarding the law of the Lord. Like it's, I always think of it this way. It's really easy to be a Christian when you're in a church service. It's really hard to be a Christian in your own living room. That's right. It's really easy to be a Christian when we're like glory singing the song and here we go. It's really hard to be a Christian when you're in the meeting at work with the four people that really bother you and the boss you can't stand. (laughs) So we can't compartmentalize where we are following the law of the Lord, right? He actually equips us with a way to live in all of those situations. So if you'll close your eyes with me, kind of bow your hearts, just a posture of prayer. Here's some questions I'd encourage you to think through. Am I I sitting in the seat of mockers? Or am I empathizing? Am I growing cynical? Or am I growing in wonder? Am I truly forgiving people? Am I offering 
the mercy that I have freely received? Or am I holding on to offense? Am I holding on to bitterness? Am I blaming others? Am I trusting God with my future? Or am I anxious about every aspect of my life? Am I actually pursuing righteousness? Am I pursuing this holiness that God has called me to? Or am I compromising in sin? Am I caring for the marginalized or am I judging them? Am I surrendered? Is my life in his hands? Or is my life actually in my own hands as I cling to my own agenda? Am I filled with the truth of God's word? Am I filled with his heart in what scripture says about who he is and who I am? Or am I filled with lies and what others have said? Lord, we ask for your help with this. You say that you'll lead us on the path everlasting, the path of blessing, the path of flourishing life. And we just want to step right over. We just want to change paths in every aspect of our lives. And as we sing this song, God, we just want to remind ourselves what we believe is true based on your word. We want to remind ourselves of the good news of Jesus. We are in this Easter hangover, this Easter tide, and we want to remember that this is a resurrection party. You have called us to life. You've given us everything we need. We want to preach the gospel to ourselves this morning as we sing these truths and remember. Let's stand together, church, as we sing this. If you could keep your eyes closed for a minute, or maybe even if you're watching online, I just want to give you an opportunity. Um, and probably everyone listening right now could raise their hand in some way to this. If you're just wanting to say this morning, I want to fully jump on the path that leads to life. I want to go all in into the path that leads to flourishing and blessing. If that's you, let's just raise your hand up or, or you can raise it low or high or, or say it in your heart. Let's just do it before the Lord. You know what? Something that's amazing is you are the only one responsible for what path you're on. Nobody else. And the only thing you can control in life is what path you are on. Let go of worrying about what path someone else is on. You can't control all the circumstances of your life, not really any of them. But what we can do is say, Lord, we want to respond in a way that keeps us on your path. We want to build our lives in the river. And you might even be saying that for the first time. What you're really saying is, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Just pray it with me. Lord, I don't have all the answers. I don't even fully know what I'm doing, but I know that I need you. I've tried other paths. I've tried other things. I've seen the destruction. I've tasted the destruction. I don't want to fully go there. Teach me what it is to walk in your way, Jesus. Ask for forgiveness where I've fallen short. Ask for help that you would lead me onward in the way everlasting, that you would lead me onward on this path, that you would guide my steps. Give me people in my life probably starting right here in this church or with someone that I know that can come around and help and pray with me and journey with me. And Lord, for, for those of us here that are making kind of micro adjustments back to the path, the kind of micro adjustments we have to make every day, help us, God, we, we, we return wholly to the path of life. Help us with it every day, we pray. I grew up as the kid of a marriage and family therapist. And so from a young age, I was taught about something called neural pathways. 
which are those things that get developed in your brain actually physically as you live your life and they kind of tell you how you think, how you approach things. That's why addictions are so powerful and habits are so hard to break because you have physical neural pathways built. Now we believe as Christians that neural pathways can be completely rewritten. We believe that there's power of God to change but we also believe that we start following in a way that aligns with God's word and it changes our neural pathway and changes how we think. And, and it strikes me as I pray and as I think in this moment and this morning, some of us only have a vision of our life that leads to destruction. And we might not say it that intensely, but we just, the neural pathway is so deep, we only see ourselves going that direction. That's all we can imagine. It's like the vision for our life is only that. And I just wanna encourage you before I close this in prayer, just take a minute, say, God, give me the vision of my life on the path that leads to blessing. Help me to see that. In counseling world, they call it solution-focused counseling. What would my life look like if I was walking on the path that leads to the blessing of God? What would be different? That is possible. Start to actually think that way, and it'll help you actually walk that way. And what the gospel says is just because you get that vision doesn't mean you're gonna perfectly walk that out. So every time you make a mistake, just say, wait a second, back to the vision of this path. Wait a second, back to the vision of this path. Does that make sense? I'm praying that God will rewrite our brains to think in the way of Jesus and walk in the way of Jesus. Let me pray this benediction. Go forth into the world, trusting with your hearts the wisdom of God. When called to lead, do so with humility and confidence in God. Be in this world a sign of Jesus' presence. Share love and compassion with all whom you encounter. Live wisely in Christ's name and glorify him in all you do. And may the grace, mercy, and wisdom of God be your support, guidance, and strength from this day forward and forevermore. And live joyfully this week in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.